We come with faith in you, acknowledging and believing not only that you are just real, but that you hear us, that you love us, that you have all power and nothing is too hard for you, and you have a purpose, a sovereign will. Father, you know the needs of all, as well as the hopes of all in this place here this morning. You likewise know those who have pain, who have worries or stress or fears. We ask, Lord, that you might intervene in these people's lives, that you might heal, change or even bring relief. We pray, the Lord, that you would raise up those who are feeling low. We pray that you would relieve pain for those who have it in their bodies. We ask that you would graciously restore health to those who are suffering. We ask, Sovereign God, that you might cure diseases. And we ask that you might forgive sin. Father, forgive us for our wrongs, being selfish or being proud, getting our motives all messed up. Forgive us for times of being inconsistent. Forgive us, Lord, for when we have offended one another. Make us aware of it and help us to make amends and to be restored and reconciled in our relationships, to reconnect. Give us your grace to be at peace as much as it's possible for us with all people. Forgive us, Lord, if we've drifted from you. In the midst of our busyness and crowded lives, sometimes you get crowded out. And this is wrong and we confess it. And ask that you would help us to reprioritise our lives and to keep you first, central and most important. Lord, for those of us who have been praying and waiting, uh, awaiting your answers, we pray that you might continue to give us patience and to trust in your perfect timing. We pray that you would direct those who need your guidance or your, who have decisions to make or choices to be made. And we especially commit to you both our kids club and the planning and the preparation for it to work on the hearts of the families, the kids who will come the teens and of the adults who will be leading and helping Lord we commit it to you and pray that you'll bring it all together to achieve your purposes, to advance your kingdom and to see lives saved guide our pastoral search committee as they interview and look for the person of your choosing to come and join us here Lead them, Lord, to the right person. Father, all these things we pray, um, submitting to you. We want your will. We want what you want. And we certainly accept whatever you decide because that's always best. And I pray, Lord, this morning, particularly for the Peers family, that they might know you and your peace. Father, all things that we have asked this morning, we pray. In the very precious name of Jesus, your will be done. And everybody said, Amen. Please stand with me. I don't know if Andrew is here this morning, but Andrew Pears, many of you will know Andrew. His granddad passed away during the week and the funeral is here on, um, on Wednesday at 11 o'clock. Andrew Pears. Um, let's take a couple of minutes for you to warm up your hands and your hearts and to turn and to greet and to meet and to... Welcome. Scare the life out of people.
Rhonda has been away all this weekend. She works at a Christian school and half a dozen, eight of them have gone away together for a weekend down the coast. So she's had a lovely time. I'm expecting her to come back to noon. Uh, They went mountain bike riding up at Mount Tambourine and she fell off. (laughs) Bruised her face. She's She's in a bit of discomfort. I'm telling you this because when you see her... Mount Tambourine, bike accident. I wasn't in the area. Which means when she's away, I've had to do the cooking. This is one of the warmest churches I've ever been in. I figured, I figured that when she gets dropped off this afternoon, she's going to have a carload of teachers with her, and they're probably one going to come inside and, um, you know, relax. I don't know if they'll have a cup of tea or nothing, go to the bathroom or, or whatever. And yeah, so I cleaned everything. <laughs> and you know what'll happen? She'll come home. They won't come inside. But it's clean for her. That's why I did it. Yeah. She probably won't even notice. Well, I probably left it in the state that she had it in when she went away on Friday. So why should she notice anything? That's what she did before she went. I just haven't trashed the place. Well, I did, but I cleaned it up. When it comes to prayer, prayer is both very easy and very hard, isn't it? Some people are gifted at it, and there is a gift of intercession, a gift of prayer. Most of us, not all, most of us wrestle with it. You're either my experience is you're either very good at Bible reading and faithful in it but struggle in prayer or you're very good at prayer and you struggle in Bible reading. There aren't many of us who get the whole both together. One's difficult and for some of us it's going to both are difficult and we have to wrestle with it. And so these are the attitudes we have that we're trying to encourage you in your prayer life to do a checklist of um, making sure that when we are praying whether it's easy or hard, that there are nonetheless these attitudes that are there. That we are aware and conscious of who we are talking to and therefore we have a sense of reverence, of awe about him. But he's our loving Heavenly Father, so there's also a sense of intimacy that we can come to him. And they're not contradictory, but both are true. So too, this morning, when we come to God and talk to him in prayer, we are to pray expectantly. We are to pray with faith. And we had a chat during the week, the pastors, and we think that this is certainly something that has been misunderstood and sometimes mistaught. And perhaps you've been misunderstanding it and you find this rather challenging or difficult. I'm going to read the scriptures. There's lots of places. We'll certainly 
refer to different scriptures, but just two to read, which pick up on this thing about we have to pray, and when we pray, we have to pray believingly, to pray in faith and not doubt. James chapter 1, we'll go to first. James chapter 1, verses, I think, 6 to 8 will appear on the screen. The context is James writing to a group of Christians, believers, scattered abroad, uh, people that he's had some input and influence in their life. And James is talking about, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it'll be given to you. Verse 6 says, but when you ask, ask in faith. Uh, He must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not think that they will receive anything from the Lord. They're a double-minded person, unstable in all that they do. When you pray, you have to believe. What does that mean? Second reading is Mark chapter 11, or Matthew 21 has the same Example. This is a very famous story that I'm sure you are familiar with. In Mark chapter 11, verses 24, 25 and 26, Jesus' teaching says, Have faith in God. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer... Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. That's a startling promise, isn't it? And of course, we've just read those out of context. We've just read both of those scriptures. There's a bit that goes before it that you have to read and put it in that context. But nonetheless, these scriptures are used and quoted and some people think about, when I pray, I have to believe, and if I don't believe, then it won't come true. I have to expect to get what I'm asking for. Sounds like the biggest blank check ever, doesn't it? At least that's how I used to understand it years ago. It's a very bold statement Jesus has that pray, believe, and if you believe, you will receive. Implication, pray, not sure, you won't get it. You have to be sure, you have to be certain, you have to believe. Is that what Jesus meant? Is that whatever I ask God, if I believe it, then God is obligated to give it to me. No questions asked. Is that what he meant? No, I don't think so. And then what happens if I don't get it? Because that's often our experience, isn't it? We ask for something and we don't get it. And you read that verse and you're sort of confused. And some people would say, well, it's because you don't have enough faith. How much faith do you have to have? It's the amount of faith is not the issue. Have faith the size of a, a mustard seed, a grain of sand. It'll work. So it's not the amount of faith. Or is Jesus being figurative? He just simply means that God has our best intentions at heart? Or, and this is what I think it is, No, Jesus meant what he said. If you say to this mountain, jump into the sea, if you believe, it'll happen. He's illustrating a point in a context. The story before this is where he has cursed the fig tree. The next morning they see it and they're surprised. Look at the fig tree. And he was, well, of course, 
That was God's will. I was in tune with what God was doing. There's even an Old Testament reference to it. I was just doing what God wanted me to do. If you've got a huge mountain in your life, an impossible situation, if you understand God and you believe his word, then you can say to that impossible situation, do what God says. I want you to go and do that. I want you to be removed. And you believe in God that that's what he wants to do, then that'll happen. That's what he means when you think it through, but it doesn't sound like that on the surface. I read somebody else's journal this week in a book. They published it. Where the journal article is entitled, I'd like a Porsche, please. I've been married for 36 years. One of the things I have learnt over 36 years is that if I only half listen to Rhonda, then I'm going to get it wrong. Rhonda has since taught my PA, Kylie, this lesson, that if I am doing anything, if I am reading a book, if I am looking at my computer monitor, if I'm at home and I am watching TV, it's pointless trying to talk to me. I am a male. Most males are like this, not all, but most. 99.8. The other 0.2 are liars. <laughs> we compartmentalise things. Ladies, if you don't understand this about men, then this is free advice for you. When we are doing something, we are doing it. Everything else is peripheral. We can't concentrate, hear it, see it or notice it. We're doing this. So if I am watching TV, I'm in that little box, I'm watching TV. If you want to talk to me, I have to come out of that box and I have to go into another box which says I am now listening to you. That's how it works. In my office, if I'm reading a book, on the, watching the, looking at the computer screen, Kylie will walk in. There's no good her walking in saying something and walking out because I won't hear her. She now knows because my wife told her. When you go in, you have to get his attention. That's why there's a 4B2 just inside the door. <laughs> You've got to get his attention. So she'll walk in and she'll stand in front of me and she'll wait till I look up and make eye contact. Then she'll tell me. And she has a much higher chance of me getting the message. It's, I'm still fallible and I still don't get everything. But that's how it works for me. If I only half listen, then I'm going to misunderstand. So too, this journal article, if you only half listen to what God says in his word, you're going to misunderstand. Some effort is required for us to listen carefully to what the Lord says to us. This particular individual in their journal article was reading through the Gospel of John. It came John 14, verse 14. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 14, 14. If you ask anything, it's pretty broad. You ask anything in my name, I will do it. They kept reading John chapter 15, verse 7. Jesus says, ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. The person's journal article reads, I am so excited. Jesus really meant this because he says it twice. He meant it. And I've checked it. I've checked it with Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Ask whatever you desire. It will be done for you. Jesus is better than a genie. A genie in a bottle. Genies in a bottle only give you three wishes. 
Jesus has a limitless supply. Jesus, I'd like a Porsche, please. Next day in a journal article. Perhaps it was because it was late in the day when I made the request and it takes more than a day for the Porsche to get here. So I'm going to pray it again early so he'll have all day to deliver the answer to my prayer. Jesus, I'd like a Porsche, please. Next journal article. Still no Porsche. Silly me. I went back and I reread that passage in John 14, verse 14. If you ask anything in my name. I didn't ask it in his name. Jesus, I'd like a Porsche, please. In your name, amen. To tag on at the end like a magical formula. In your name. Next journal article. Still no Porsche. I've been reading other parts of the Bible and Mark 11 verse 24 came to me. Whatever you ask, believe that you will receive it and you will have it. I need to believe that Jesus is going to give me the Porsche that I'm asking for. So Jesus, I really, really, really believe that you can give me a Porsche, that you're going to give me a Porsche. I'd like a Porsche, please, in your name. Amen. Is that how it should go? this particular person's journey of trying to get their own way in Jesus' name, what does it mean? Well, context is everything. You have to listen carefully in each of those passages that he was reading and misquoting. Jesus is certainly focused upon our spiritual needs more than our material. He's far more concerned about us and our relationship with him than he is about anything else. But he is concerned about everything else as well. But this is number one on his agenda. That's number one on God's agenda. Romans 8.29 says to us that God has committed himself to us to conform us to the image of Jesus. The Bible uses the word predestined. He has predestined us. He's committed to this. He won't deviate from it. He will allow it to come into our lives or situations in our life which will motivate and promote that growth in us. To pray in Jesus' name is not a magical formula. It's not an open sesame. It's not abracadabra. To pray in his name is to pray in accordance with his person, his values, in his name. It represents him. Would Jesus want me to have a Porsche? Well, you need to think about it. But for most of us, the answer is no. In fact, it might be for all of us. I don't know if there are any Porsches out in the car park. But for some, he may very well bless you with wealth. And you may be able to afford a Porsche. And you may very well like one and get one. To him much is given, much is required. To pray and to ask and receive... We have to be in tandem with God, in harmony with him. Otherwise we are asking out of sync. If you look at those passages, just the second one, ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you, John fifteen seven. It begins with, if you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you like and it will be done for you. It's conditions that you have to fulfil. If you remain in me, linked, you see, in harmony, and my word remains in you, your 
influenced by the values of God's word. You're being directed according to his thinking. Not, Lord, I want a Porsche, but, Lord, I want to advance your kingdom. I want to become more like you. I want this to happen in someone's life. I want you to be honoured, the kingdom to grow, someone to be helped or blessed. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's what it says. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Most people, when they hear that, hear the second part. He will give you the desires of your heart after you have delighted yourself in the Lord. Because when you delight yourself in him, that will influence the desires of your heart. Make sense? That's why Augustine, great theologian, 4th century, said, Love God and do what you please. Say that to people. Say that to some of your unsaved friends. I know someone in our church who said that to their mum. Mum's not a Christian. When she heard it, she was appalled. Is that what your pastor teaches? Because she heard the second bit. Do what you please. But Augustine was copying that psalm, 37 verse 4. Love God. And if you love God, what are you going to do? What pleases him? Do what you please. You're not going to go off on your own selfful, sinful direction because if you're doing that, you're not loving him. So too when it comes to prayer and we're asking and receiving. Well, let's have a look at some of these verses and see what we learn from them. In Matthew chapter 7, which is the one that I've quoted but we didn't read, that's where Jesus says, Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For the one who asks, receives. The one who seeks, will find. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened to them. He says it twice. He repeats it in a context. The context is a Sermon on the Mount where he's been talking about the very high standards of what it means to be a follower of his. And the standards, in fact, are so high it's impossible for us to do. And it's in that context he says, ask for help. Seek God's wisdom and direction in your life. Knock when you come to obstacles and God will assist you in getting these qualities into your life. That's the general direction. But Jesus then goes on to say, before I go there, Jesus is clearly implying for us that life is like a roller coaster ride. Ups and downs, twists and turns, surprises. It has pressures, it has pleasures. It has stresses, it has perplexities and problems. Life is a mixture. We all experience it like that. And Jesus is saying you don't have to do life alone. You can live it in tandem with him. And he invites us to do so and to ask for his help, to seek him and to seek his help and to knock on those doors. He's a, he promises to be a travelling companion with us, if you like. Abraham exemplifies this attitude. God called him and said, I want you to leave there and I want you to go to a place. You don't know where it is yet, but I'll let you know. And it says, Abraham went not knowing where he went, but he, know with, he knew with whom he went. That's the point. So too for us in our journey of life. And in this context, Matthew 7, the Lord Jesus goes on to say, after the asking, seeking and knocking, he uses an illustration. Still in this truth, which of you, parents, child comes to you and they ask for something, which of you, 
as evil and as sinful as we are, which of you would do something terrible? They ask for a fish, you give them a snake. You know, they ask for a piece of bread, you give them a stone. Who would do that? Well, how much more would your heavenly Father give good things and not evil things? So you see, you put it in context. Ask and you will receive. You're asking your heavenly Father who will not give you evil. He will not necessarily give you what you ask by implication because you may ask amiss, you may ask incorrectly, you may ask for something which would be bad for you. Well, your loving Heavenly Father is not going to say yes to that. But he will provide you with good things. He is a loving Heavenly Father who never makes a mistake and who gives good things. Same context is going to appear in James chapter 1, the passage we did read. Our spiritual problem is we don't have enough resources, mental resources or enough wisdom to deal with this life on our own. Our human reasoning is deficient. That's why James says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God. If you are aware of your lack, come to him and say, Lord, I need your insight, I need your discernment, I need your direction on some of these decisions that I've got to be making or choices that are whatever to empower my motivation that my heart is right. Then James goes on to say, God gives. God gives generously. God gives generously to all who ask. God gives generously to all who ask, but you have to ask. And then when you do ask, he says, You have to ask in faith. You have to believe. Believe what? Not, Jesus, I would like a Porsche. It's not, I believe you'll give it to me. It's not me persuading myself, talking myself into, that's what's going to happen. It's not me praying for healing in somebody's life and saying, I can envisage that. Personal illustration, back in 1987, I've told this story before and um, to many of you will know. Uh, we had our third child and there was complications with the pregnancy and um, we called her Lauren. She didn't survive. She survived about two and a half, three hours after birth. I think that was a miracle, that survival time, because that was my time with her. Okay, back a few months. When we first got news of this, we were in a Baptist church in San Susie. And we called the elders and we called anybody in the church who had faith to believe that God would heal. That this would be to his honour. This would be a miracle of healing. To come meet at our place and we would pray together. For weeks between getting the announcement and then getting the confirmation, there were a couple of weeks in there, we did nothing else except play praise albums, praise tapes, Whenever doubts or uncertainty entered, we rebuked it, we put it away and we kept confessing the name of Jesus and saying, you're going to be honoured through this. We fully expected, we persuaded ourselves that this is what God was going to do. And it didn't happen. And there's another part of the story which I've told on different stories of my response to that. What we were doing, gathering together and praying... It's not what James is saying. It's not what the scriptures are saying. The faith is not me conjuring up 
and persuading myself. It's not faith in faith. Does that make sense? It's faith in Him. Faith is trusting Him. That's what faith is. Faith is trust. God said something, I believe it. He said it. That's how Abraham is the father of the faith. God said, leave here, go there. He did. He trusted. Take your son, Isaac, and offer him. He did. You know the story. Romans chapter 4 tells us what actually went through Abraham's brain. He reasoned. God said, I have to do this. God also said that this is the promised child, that this is the one through whom the blessings are going to come. And God is saying, I have to kill the one whom he said was going, the promise would come through. Ta-da. Therefore, I'll do that. I will kill my son. But God is obviously going to raise me again from the dead because he's the promised one. Romans chapter 4, 19 and 20. 21. That's him reasoning on the basis of what he knew about God. He was taking God at his word. That's what faith is. Taking God at his word. And that's what James is saying to us here. You lack wisdom? Ask God for wisdom. Will he give it to you? Well, you said. If anyone lacks wisdom, ask of God and he will give it. You can't ask too often because he gives generously. And he doesn't find fault. He doesn't, his response is not, you are not worthy of it. Uh, you're not thankful enough. He doesn't say, you've asked too many times already. It's a limitless supply. If you lack wisdom, ask God. And he, it says, will give it. We should pray. We should pray believingly. The way is open. Jesus has made it possible for us to come to our Heavenly Father and to talk to him. Prayer is powerful and effective. We can pray. We should pray. We must pray. And when we do pray, we should pray trusting. Lord, you know best. Your will is sovereign. From my perspective, this is what I think I want or this is what, how I think it should go and I ask for your help. But not my will. Your will. And I'll accept whatever you say back. If we don't have that attitude of trust, of faith, James tells us that we will be unsuccessful. That, uh, let, not, let not that person think that they will receive anything from the Lord. To ask God and to doubt him is really quite insulting to him. It's offensive to him. So we are to pray believing. Matthew 21, Mark 11, that story about, you know, you can say to this mountain, pick yourself up, throw yourself into the sea. I think it is an analogy. I don't think Jesus is in the excavation business. I don't think he meant literally. You can say to that 4,000 foot mountain, jump into that lake, the Sea of Galilee. I don't think he meant that. I think he meant if you're facing a mountain, as impossible as that is, for that large bunch of rocks and dirt and trees and everything else, for that to be shoved into the, the sea would be incredible. Not to God. God can do that. That's Jesus' point. What are you facing in your life which is overwhelming, which is impossible? Well, God, you can deal with that. Will you deal with it? I don't know. But you can. I believe you can. And I trust that you're the God who does the impossible. Well, here's a situation, Lord, from my perspective, I'd like it removed. I'd like it changed. 
whatever you decide is the best, I'm happy with. That's what I would like. And you pray that submissively in the name of Jesus. And the Father then decides, he weighs it up. What's the best thing for you? And sometimes for you, the mountain gets removed. It's gone. The person is healed miraculously. The money is provided. Unusual things happen because that's the Father's plan and purpose of what's going on. So we have to pray believing that God hears, believing that God will answer and believing that he will answer according to his own sovereign will. You see, faith comes not from looking at the mountain but from looking at God. That's Jesus' point. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. He can do anything. Though having said that, I should say, all things are possible for God. But according to his sovereign will and purposes, not all things are permissible. All things are possible. Not all things are permissible. There are plenty of things God can do that he won't do. Nothing is beyond his ability. But some things are certainly outside his purposes. And we are trying to walk in harmony with him and prayer helps us to get in harmony with him. It's our speaking to and listening time and we discern what he is doing, what his purposes are. So we are to pray believing. Scripture says without faith it's impossible to please God. The Bible says that we live by faith, we walk by faith, not by sight. It's the, a faith is an attitude of the heart towards a person, not towards a situation or a thing. It's not me persuading and drumming it up and I believe, I believe, I believe. It's I believe him. I trust him. I trust his power, his, his goodness, his mercy, his wisdom. I trust his purposes. Faith is not the absence of knowledge, talking it up. Faith is the application of the knowledge of the God that I know and trust. Hence, I need to read my Bible to get to know God more. The more I know God, the more I'll trust God. That as you step out in faith in what he's asking you to do, like Abraham, as you walk with him, your faith will grow. Joshua chapter 3 is the story of where God instructs Joshua to tell the priests to pick up the ark and to go through a flooded Jordan. They're going to enter the promised land. The Jordan's in flood. It's uncrossable. Pick up the ark and go. They pick up the ark and the people are instructed, when you see the priest carrying the ark, follow them. So the priests do when they go out. As soon as their foot touches the water, the flood waters recede. They shrink and eventually somehow disappear. We're told later on in the scriptures that there was the Lord stopped the water flowing from further upstream and the people went across on dry land. God said, pick up the ark and go across, but it's still in flood. They picked it up because God said so. The water's still in flood. They walked towards it. It's still in flood. And it wasn't until they stepped into the water that the water stopped flowing. That's faith. They weren't willing and trying to persuade themselves the water's going to stop, the water's going to stop. They were trusting God. God, you said. I'm simply doing what you said. You take care of whatever you've got to do. We have those experiences. We walk forward with him. Make sense? So faith is not irrational. Faith is not emotional. When we pray in faith, 
It is based upon the character of God and upon the word of God. That's what God has said and what we know about him. Faith is based upon awareness or knowledge and our response to that knowledge is both one of commitment and of reliance, resting. I believe that if I get on a plane I can fly to Sydney. I know I can. I have knowledge that I can. My response to that? I commit to it. I buy a ticket. I go to the airport. I get on the plane. When I get on the plane I have a choice. I can rest. I can be at ease, fully expectant that the airline is going to do what it said it would do. Or I can be anxious, I can be worried, I can be fearful. I can be looking at the window and checking we're going in the right direction all the time. Faith is based upon knowledge, a responsive commitment to it, and then a resting. When we come to God in prayer, it's based upon what he has said. Lord, you said I could have wisdom. I'm asking for wisdom. He said it. I commit myself to asking for it. And now I rest. Wait. God is always obviously free to say no to any request, particularly that which conflicts with his plan. Prayer does influence God. He does respond to it. It does make a difference. But only within certain limits and boundaries, of course. Here are six statements and then let me make some concluding challenges and then I'll pray. I believe God is good. That he'll never give me or allow me to have anything that is wrong. He won't give it to me. He allows difficulties, but for a good purpose. I believe God is good. I believe God is great and that he can do anything, impossible things, the unlikely things, the unexpected things. I believe that. He is awesome. I believe God hears me. I believe God will respond. He'll often say yes. It might be yes, exactly what you wanted. It might be yes, um, slightly different. You won't get the Porsche, you'll get a Toyota something or other. Or yes, but not just yet. Yes, you shouldn't have it. Yes, but different. Yes, but not right now. You can wait a little bit. Things have got to happen. Yes, yes, yes. Sometimes he'll say, no. It's not in my will for you. It doesn't advance my kingdom. It's not the best time like this. Like watching someone play chess when they make a move and you go, oh no, don't. And then later on you find out, oh, that was a good move to make. That's how God operates in our life. Sometimes we might misunderstand, why not? Well, he has his reasons, and they're good reasons, because he is good. If I believe God hears me and will respond to my request, I trust that God knows best. I trust that he's much smarter than I am. I trust that he has good intentions for me. He never deliberately, intentionally wants to harm me. And so there, finally, I'm quite happy to submit, to accept his response. If it's no, I might be disappointed, but I know him and I love him 
and therefore I trust him that he always has that which is best for me. R.A. Torrey tells a story of his little daughter. He was a travelling evangelist, Bible teacher, often going overseas. One day he went overseas and he was given a gift of uh, a pearl necklace. When he came home, he was playing with his little daughter in front of their fire, open hearth fire, and he thought he would test her. And he said to her, she was playing with some of her jewels and dolls and things on the floor, and he said, sweetheart, I want you to pick up that little plastic necklace that you've got and I want you to throw it into the fire. And she looked at him and she checked. What? Why? Just trust me. Do you think I love you? Yes. Do you think I intend good for you? Yes. Then I want you to do this. I want you to throw the plastic necklace into the fire. Eventually, wrestling, she does. And then guess what he does? Gives her the real thing. Gives her the pearl necklace. Sometimes God's like that with us. I want you to get this out of your life. But I, why? I like that. Because he wants to give us something much better. You won't get this until we obey, love, trust him in this. Simple illustration. But so true to life. So when we pray... We need to trust God enough to recognise that he knows best and he's doing whatever he's doing. Sometimes it seems to us he's not doing anything. But he is. There is no expiry date on our prayers that are sent to heaven. He works his purposes out. You asked for it. If he's going to give it to you, he'll work it through. So, finally, these three things. Pray, because you believe in God and you believe that he is good pray because God can do the impossible he can cure he can open prison doors he can raise the dead he can change stubborn habits he can turn beer into furniture that was one person's testimony of God's miraculous working in their life I've seen him turn beer into furniture person's testimony was they used to be an alcoholic and spent all their money on beer got converted, got changed now the money is spent on household sensibles and furniture turned to beer into furniture was their story God can change lives can change your life he can change your partner's life he can change your kids' lives he can change your neighbour's life he can change your boss's life he can change lives He can stop a river. He can knock down the walls. He can close the mouths of lions. He can destroy the enemy. He can multiply blood. He can, he can do anything. We should pray because he can do the impossible. And finally, pray because God knows best. Not my will, but his will. Nothing is beyond his influence. He is a loving Heavenly Father who intends good things for us. The Bible says, Ephesians 3.20 Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Did you get it? To him who is able to do whatever we ask or think all that we ask or think 
above all that we ask or think. Abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think, he can do it. And he invites us into that relationship to talk with him in prayer and to trust him, to believe, and to expect that he will follow through and keep his word, just like he said. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that you are the great and the awesome God seated in heaven watching everybody on earth aware of every situation that you've got a plan and a purpose and you are tirelessly working it out and that through your activities you've invited us into a significant relationship with you and to join you in your work of extending the kingdom. Lord, you are the great God before whom nothing is impossible. I pray this morning that you might help each of us to get to know you more and that as we come to know you more deeply, we will love and trust you more firmly. Lord, forgive us for our doubts. Strengthen in us faith, trust in you and to do, we do that Lord by getting to know your character and trusting you so reveal yourself to us that we might be a people who walk in harmony with you our loving and great God we pray in Jesus name Amen